it feels like we've been in 1 Corinthians for ages as a church. Um, today might be the last one. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, basically, right, what happened is I was meant to be preaching 1 Corinthians 15 over the last two weeks. And as I was reading it, I was just like, this is brilliant. This is quality. I've got to talk about that. I've got to say some stuff about this. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't work, does it, to just fit into two. So we're doing three on 1 Corinthians 15. So there's another chapter after that, chapter 16. I have no idea what we're going to do with that one. Uh, like next week, uh, Rich is going to be sharing some stuff about who we are as a church, where we're going as a church. That would be a very exciting preach. Then we've got a guy called uh, Dave Holden come in the week after. He's one of the um, apostolic guys within the family of churches that we're a part of. Um, he will be bringing some stuff to us. And then after that, um, Steph's back in, in the helm. So we might... I know, I'm excited. <laughs> So really we'll see where God leads as to whether we hit chapter 16 then or whether we start up some new stuff. Um, so this could be the last one, but no promises. Um, but, but these three weeks in 1 Corinthians 15, the theme is resurrection. And really the way it broke down um, is the first week we were looking to the past. We were looking to the resurrection of Jesus. We were looking at um, all the eyewitness accounts, all the um, historical stuff that says, yeah, 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 Jesus really, really did rise from death. That's a sure, solid hope in which to build. Then last week we were looking at, well, okay, so if resurrection is true, what difference does that make in the present? How does it change things that Jesus rose from the dead? We saw that if he hadn't, our preaching would be in vain. Your faith would be in vain. We saw that we can have a hope that those who we love, who are in the Lord, will rise again. We saw that if we know there's a resurrection to come, it means that in this world we can live sacrificially. We could die every day. We could take beatings. We could be martyred for the faith, but know there's a glorious hope to come. We also saw that we don't have to indulge in this kind of materialist dream around us, the, um, yeah, eat, drink, do whatever you want for tomorrow. You're going to die, but we can live holy before the Lord. And today, we're going to finish up this idea of the resurrection by really turning our eyes on the future. What is it that's to come? What is this hope that we have? What's going to happen? What will it all be like? I'm aware that talking about the future is quite a dangerous topic to address. Um, to, to kind of show you why, I want to tell you a story um, about when I was at work a couple of weeks ago. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, some of the work that I do is, is in catering. It's like waitering, bar work kind of thing. And, and I think really there are two things uh, you need to do that job well. You need to be technically quite good. So you need to be able to uh, serve a plate well, pour a drink well, all of that stuff. And you need that little bit extra, that kind of service with a smile, that little twist that makes it a really special evening for the guests. <laughs> you can already tell this isn't going to go well, don't you? <laughs> well, what happened um, is we're having our briefing and our manager was like, right, okay, the client is, is a Spanish pharmaceutical company. Um, they've flown all their people in from Spain um, for these events this week in London. And, and so it was a drinks reception uh, for all these Spanish people. I thought, that's brilliant. Because what I can do to make it extra special is I can speak Spanish to them. They'll love it. <laughs> now, I, now, some of you know me, you're thinking, but Tom, you, you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> well, you'd be wrong. I do. I, I speak perfectly fluent 10-word Spanish. Okay. <laughs> But that's fine. I, I, I can handle that because like, I'm holding my tray of drinks. I, I, I've got my ten words. So it's hola. That means hello. Savata, uh, <laughs> which is beer, which is great because my tray had beer on it. They took one. Gracias. And then they walk off. That's three of my ten words. Then later I was on uh, duty topping up the wine that people were drinking. So again, it's like... Um, 
Senor, <laughs> por favor, gracias. It's brilliant. And I was expecting that they would say, si, which means yes. And I had it all down. My 10 words covered everything I needed to know for the evening. Not sad. Because I, I, I was like, hola, por favor. Uh, and the guy just launched into like a minute and a half of very fast Spanish. I was like, oh, God, I want the gift of interpretation, please. <laughs> he didn't give it me. So uh, I, I just said, gracias. Uh, I walked off. <laughs> what, what, why is that relevant to anything? Uh, I, the point I'm trying to illustrate here is that sometimes a little bit of knowledge can be quite a dangerous thing and get you into trouble. If you know a little bit, but you think you can do more with it than you actually know, you end up in some crazy situations. And, and that's certainly true when it comes to the future and the resurrection. Because what you do is you get like some people, what they'll do is they'll glimpse a couple of verses from the Bible. So they know a little bit, but they don't read the context and they don't read the big story. But they do watch The Exorcist, and they do read the Left Behind books, and they end up with some kind of weird speculation about the future. And, and what it usually turns out is like they take a wall of their house, and they get a crayon, and they've got like a timeline of all the things that are going to happen, and this superpower will have a war with this nation over this political thing, and then Tesco will get involved, and they'll put barcodes on everybody's face, and then Simon Cowell will reveal himself to be the Antichrist, and... Blatantly, we don't want to go there. <laughs> but then nor do we want to go to the other extreme that, that neglects the future. Because as we saw um, last week, actually the truth of the future has huge implications for how we live today. Because if we just ignore the future, we won't be the people who will sacrifice our lives for the gospel. We will get caught up in the things of this world. We can't just get into it. Well, let's just live well now and not think about that day. Because that just doesn't work. I think as with a lot of biblical subjects, a really good way uh, to get a kind of good balanced view on the resurrection is as we talk about it, to keep in mind the truth of Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, which says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, which basically says, look, there's some stuff that's been revealed in the Bible. That's us. We've got to study that. We've got to own it. We've got to know it. We've got to live it. There are some things that haven't been revealed to us in the Bible Let's not guess. Let's just trust God with that stuff, is what it says. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, and we're going to uh, look at the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, the bits we haven't picked up in the previous two weeks. Um, and it addresses some of the kind of big questions we might have about that day to come, uh, the resurrection and the future. Um, so to start with, I just want to read a little bit of, of the text for you. I'm going to pick it up from verse 22. Um, I read probably to the end of 28 at the moment. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. 
So question one that we might have uh, about the resurrection to come, about um, the future, is what's going to happen and when? Well, the Bi- first, first thing to say is the Bible doesn't go into precise uh, details about exactly what date, and it's definitely not a good idea to guess. I don't know how many of you know this, um, but a while ago the Jehovah's Witnesses tried to have a guess. They said, in October 1914, Jesus is going to return. And then there was like a press release in like November 1914 that says uh, it might be 1915 after all. Um, and then they were like, by the end of 1915, they were like, um, oh yeah, actually he did return in October 1914. It was just a secret. And he didn't tell anybody about it. That's what happens when you try and guess. The Bible does not say when this stuff is going to happen. What it does say, though, is, is some details about what will happen. It tells us what will happen, how it relates to each other, what um, these events are. And the first, re- um, the first event it talks about is the resurrection of Jesus himself. Now, we know this one has already happened. This happened in around about 33 AD. It happened a couple of millennia ago. It was like the first fruits is the image the Bible uses. So there's a whole harvest, but this is the first one to spring up. And a really important thing in this context is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus is considered to be part of the whole last day's thing. So you can be like, oh, well, will all this stuff happen? Here's the news for you. It's already started happening. Okay, it's already started with the resurrection of Jesus. You can't be like, oh, no, I, I wouldn't go for this whole resurrection. Thing. It's already happened yeah. to Jesus. It's happened to him as the pioneer, so we can be sure it will happen to the rest of us. So he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. Now he's reigning over the universe. And the next thing that happens is he will come back and he will put all his enemies under his feet. Now, to say all his enemies under his feet, that includes spiritual rulers and authorities. Evil spirits will be put under his feet. Also, human individuals will be subjected to the rule of Jesus too. Now, right now, his enemies are being put under his feet as he conquers them with love. As as his message of the gospel is proclaimed. As people are, okay, okay, so um, I was an enemy, but he's accepting me into his arms. I can join his team. His enemies are being conquered by love. There will come a day when those who keep resisting and keep resisting and keep resisting and will not repent and will not come to Jesus, there will come a day when he comes in triumphant victory and by force every enemy is conquered. That makes today a really important day, by the way. Because today is part of the season of repentance. You know, that's why it hasn't happened so far. People are like, well, oh, oh, why why, why is it delayed 2,000 years? It's delayed 2,000 years to give you an opportunity to repent. Because if he'd come back like 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been saved. I'd have been judged, and I'd have ended up in hell. But the fact that he delayed it meant that I got an opportunity to say, whoa, I get it. Okay, so Jesus, he's Lord, he's Saviour, he died for me. Yeah, I want in on that. There's an opportunity for you today to do the same, to turn from your sin, to turn to Jesus as Saviour and give your life to him and be saved. Don't delay because we don't know how long this season is going to be. He is going to return one day. And he says, when Jesus returns, then all who belong to him are risen. So uh, the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. 
There are people who will have died in the Lord. And when you die in the Lord, what happens is your spirit will go to be with Jesus. That's what Paul says when he's talking about to die is gain. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll be with Jesus. That's better by far. But actually the hope that he was looking to is to attain by any means the resurrection of the dead. So for now, his spirit is with Jesus. But the real deal is in the future. Jesus returns. The spirit returns with him as in the spirit of Paul, the spirit of all those who died in the Lord. The body is raised up and the two are reunited. When will that happen? We don't know. And then finally, uh, he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father. So um, the Son, Jesus, he rules under the authority of the Father. He'll conquer everything, bring all the enemies under his feet, then he will hand it over to God the Father. So that's kind of what will happen in the future. That's what we're looking for. But I'm sure that that kind of framework prompts a few questions in your mind. So let's do question number two. So we're going to be raised... Well, what's the deal with that? Will we get the same bodies as we get at the moment? Will we get different bodies? Will we get super cool bodies? Will we have wings? Can we fly? All those kind of questions. <laughs> That's a question that would occur to me, um, maybe not to any of the rest of you. Um, look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, I think from the way Paul starts his answer in verse 36 by saying, you foolish person, that probably what was going on in the Corinthian context was this was like a really sceptical question rather than just a genuine bit of curiosity. It would be quite harsh if like, yeah, just a question how that works. Like, you fool! Uh, but if it's someone just trying to pick holes in the idea of the resurrection, it makes a lot more sense. And I think what they're doing is, okay then, Paul, you say the dead are raised, But my uncle, he was cremated. He doesn't even have a body. How can he be raised? Or what about those people who died like a thousand years ago and they're totally decomposed? That will look gross when they raise from the dead. (laughs) Or people who are hung, drawn and quartered, their bodies are sent to all the corners of the kingdom. Well, they can't be raised, can they? Or imagine this one, right? Because imagine somebody uh, dies, then they're eaten by cannibals, right? And all the molecules that were in their body go to make up the body of the cannibal. Then the cannibal repents and becomes a Christian as well. Well, those molecules can't be in both bodies, can they? The dead being raised can't happen. I think what what these guys are doing is they're trying to paint a scenario so absurd that they're just like, you know what, Paul, you're talking rubbish with the resurrection of the dead. Now, we might hear it and we might think, that's a ridiculous question. Why would someone ask that? We just have to be a little bit careful with dismissing it too quickly um, because we can easily fall into another error on the opposite side, uh, which is the idea that actually just divorces the resurrection from the body. Because if we do that, we end up with all these stereotypes of heaven that are banded around Western culture. So, and you know the things that just make it seem like a bit of a consolation prize? It's like, you've had the real deal here, and uh, yeah, there's that to come. But it sounds rubbish. So you'll just be sitting on a cloud. Uh, and you can eat the Philadelphia and you'll have some kind of peace but not, not in like a dynamic, relational we're together, we're united kind of peace but just the kind of peace that's like yeah, there's nothing really worth investing in nothing really uh, worth doing or committing to it's boring, there's nothing to do because it's not bodily, it's just floating up in the sky that's the other error we can fall in so we don't want to dismiss these questions about the body too quickly we want to acknowledge the, the kind of premise in the question. Actually, what happens to the body does matter. That is central to what's going on in the resurrection. You know, Tom Wright, he's like a biblical uh, writer, scholar. He, he'd explain it to you something like this. It's like, okay, a lot of people, when they think of resurrection, they have this idea of life after death. 
Get that idea out of your head. What's going on in resurrection is life after life after death. So there's life after death in, in terms of your soul goes to be with Jesus. But then resurrection is teaching. There's life after that in the body where you're physically raised from the dead. So that's the real issue that's been brought up here. So how does it work that we can uh, talk about the bodily resurrection when there are many bodies out there that just physically couldn't be raised? Well, let's have a look, shall we? Verse 36 on, we'll read for a bit. You foolish person, what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some of the grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for, for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory." Essentially the idea, the argument that Paul's making here is your body on that day, it will be similar to your body today, but it will also be different. So you don't need to get too caught up in the technicalities about which molecules will make it. It will be similar, but it will be different. Like a seed that's sown and grows up into wheat. It's similar, but different. The wheat doesn't look that much like the seed, and yet when you look at the seed, everything that makes up the wheat was in there. All the genetic code, all the DNA, it's in that little seed that forms the wheat the way it is. So it's you as you are now, like everything that will make up you then is in there, and it will kind of be brought to flourish is kind of the deal. It's like you, similar but different. So all the things that are unique to you, that make up your personality, your character, uh, your passions, that won't just be kind of erased and scrubbed over and started from scratch. It's not quite like that. So a good example of it is like, if you think about when Jesus uh, was risen from the dead and appearing to the disciples, they were like, who's that fella? Oh, It's Jesus. So he was different enough that they'd look at him and not instantly see it, but similar enough that they could look at him for a minute and see it. Similar, but different. Paul says, look, God creates all different kinds of flesh, and it's not all the same. So take humans, animals, birds, and fish, for example. They're all similar to each other in that they all take in oxygen, they all eat food, they all, all have eyes, and yet they're all very different from each other. It's kind of like that with your current body and your resurrection body, similar but different. Or think about the, in the skies, you've got the sun and the moon and all the different types of stars, the black holes, the supernova, the quasar. There's a sense in which they're all similar, but a sense in which they're all very, very different. Same with our resurrection bodies. Oh, right, okay, I wonder, I wonder how you react to this idea of your body in the future being similar but different to how it is now. My reaction, my initial reaction is to be a little bit scared. I'm like, different? I don't want to be different. Kind of, I, I still want to be me. I want to be me in the future. I don't want to lose who I am. What, what I need to realize is that what will happen to my body in the future is the same kind of thing as what's happening to my spirit in the present. Because what God does in me, the new birth he creates in me, is like a taste of the resurrection life at work in me. So my soul has been totally transformed when I come to know Jesus. But I don't feel like I'm any less me. I 
feel like I'm way more me. He's taken me and freed me to actually be me. It'll be the same deal with our body. In creating you, the unique you, God always had in mind, not just you in your uh, physical earthly body, but you in your resurrection body. He made you to be a perfect fit with the body he's going to give you. Now, some of you, you have exactly the opposite fear. You're like, no, 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 I'm not afraid of being different in the resurrection. I'm afraid of being similar. I don't want to be similar to what I am now. What's redeemable in me? What's redeemable in this body, you might be asking? Hey, listen, okay, God doesn't make mistakes. When he created you, he was like, got that one wrong. When he made you, he did a good job. He made a masterpiece, and he brought himself great joy in creating you. Now, Now, you've rebelled and sinned against him, but his image remains in you. Tarnished, yes, but it's there, clearly evident. And so your body, your heart, your soul, your mind, your spirit, all of it washed in the blood of Jesus will continue on into eternity. Perfected, glorious, different, yes, but similar. So how so? How will our resurrection bodies be different to our current bodies? What will be new about them? Well, verse 42 says this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. How many of you know that you're fragile, that you're perishable? How many of you are prone to sickness? How many of you always seem to be the one who gets the cold? Always seems to uh, be taking days off work with the flu. You, you, You get the coughs and the sniffles, shortness of breath. You've got asthma. There's there's a more serious stuff. There's the leukemia, the cancer, the AIDS, the meningitis. You know very well how perishable you are. We all do. All of us struggle with disease from time to time. And each one of us will die unless Jesus returns first. And we need to know it. We need to know that death is something that will get all of us. And when I say it, I think there's a reason that kind of an air of discomfort just swept the room. Because death stands in the world as an intruder. It doesn't feel right. We don't like to talk about it. It isn't meant to be here. It wasn't in the good world that God created. He had Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and there in the midst of it was the tree of life. They could eat of this tree and, and live on and live on forever. And yet death entered the world. It entered through sin. God said, you know, this other tree, this tree of the knowledge uh, of good and evil, if you eat of it, you'll die. Satan said, you won't die. He's having a laugh. And so they ate of it. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And there was an angel with like a flaming, twisting, cool sword thing, um, meaning that they couldn't get access to the tree of life anymore. And since then, person after person after person has died. Look at the story of Genesis. Okay, so you've got um, Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain kills Abel. Then you've got this guy Lamech. He goes and kills a guy. Then look at chapter 5. It's quite a sad story, really. Verse 5. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Thus all the days of Mahalahel were 895 years, and he died. 
And this is a rhythm that goes on and on through the chapter. He lived for a bit, he had a kid, lived for a bit more, and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And this isn't just a a rhythm throughout Genesis chapter 5. This is a rhythm throughout human history. You could carry a chain from that day to this day. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. Death has swept into human history. We're perishable. It's rightly scary. It's like a dark void as the bookend of life. It's inevitable and it's unavoidable. Your body is a perishable body. You will die. One day, you'll get hit by a bus, or you'll get a disease, or you'll get old and go to sleep and not wake up the next morning. Our bodies are perishable. Now, here's the thing. Here's the glorious thing. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. The body you'll have on that day will be a body that cannot get ill and cannot die. All those annoying little niggly things gone, the crink in the neck, the hay fever, the hiccups, the sore throats, they will be gone. What is raised is imperishable. All those big knockout diseases, they'll be gone too. Malaria, TB, heart problems, Parkinson's disease, Crohn's disease. There'll be no need to worry or fear about getting ill. There'll be no need to fear uh, a loved one getting hit with something like that because what is raised is imperishable. There'll be no car accidents. There'll be no falling down the stairs. There'll be no broken legs. There'll be no migraines. There'll be no death. Imagine that. Imagine living eternally without the fear of death, without the aging, wilting, perishing process. What is raised is imperishable. Hallelujah. When we read the Bible, when we see uh, the life of Jesus and we see about people getting healed, you know what that is? That's an inbreaking of the kingdom of God into now. That's a pocket of the future being brought into the present. Jesus said, look, the kingdom's at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And he demonstrated it. So healings are something of that day being brought into this day. If you want a good picture of what the new creation will be like, just imagine a world where all the miracles that Jesus ever did were universally applied. What do I mean by that? Okay, so Jesus would give sight to a blind man. Imagine a world where every blind person was given sight. Jesus cleansed the lepers. Imagine a world where every leper was cleansed. Jesus raised the dead. Imagine a world where all the dead were raised. Jesus kept the party going by turning water into wine. Imagine a world where the party never stops. Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves so there's plenty of food for these 5,000 people on a hillside. Imagine a world where there's plenty of food for everybody. Jesus calmed the storm on a lake in the Middle East. Imagine a world where every storm physically, spiritually, emotionally is made calm. Jesus even suspended the physical properties of the world around him as he walked on water. Imagine a world where the physical properties have less hold than they do today. When we see um, healings and miracles today, it's the same deal. You know, I bet loads of you have seen it happen, that God has healed people, that God has worked miracles. What's happening is a pocket of that day coming into this day. It's a glorious thing. And you know what we're going to do today? Later in the service, we're going to be praying that God will do it today. We're going to be praying for people to be healed. We're going to be praying for miraculous things to happen. What is raised is imperishable. Why? Why is that the case? Well, that's the case because the Son of God perished in our place. He tasted death for us, that he may destroy death and the one who has power over death, the devil, and that we may be raised imperishable. 
It reads on, verse 43. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. This is another difference to that day. How many of you know that we're dishonourable? It's a concept that relates to these ideas of shame and honour. Globally, there are two different types of cultures that can develop. There's like a guilt and innocence culture, or there's a shame and honour culture. So our culture is predominantly based on like guilt and innocence. Uh, the really driving thing is like whether you did it or not. So imagine you did something uh, and nobody knew about it. In our culture, you'd be expected to feel really bad about it because uh, that's kind of the guilt culture at work. On the other hand, some cultures are more like a shame honour culture. So if you get accused of something, even if you didn't do it, if everyone thinks you did it, that's really, really bad. Because the way you're seen publicly is what matters. It's less of an individualistic kind of thing. Well, the image we have here is from this second type of culture. It's the way everyone sees you. There's a real dishonour. Your body, your life is one of shame. When people look at you, rightly, they see shame. So what am I saying? Is there something about the human body um, that's shameful per se? Not at all, okay? So God created Adam and Eve, and it says they were naked and not ashamed. David said, I praise you, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So what happened? Well, after they sinned and ate the fruit, there was something in them, something that entered into them that meant when they were looked upon, there was a real shame. There was something that shouldn't be seen. So they hid. They hid. And God was walking through the garden. He's like, where are you? I'm hiding because I'm naked and you're not allowed to see me. He felt shame, rightly so. He's exposed in sin. But you know what? We're raised in glory. There's a dishonor through sin. But there's a glory through resurrection. In resurrection, we will be glorious. Our sin will be utterly gone. In fact, if you know Jesus, this resurrection is at work in you today, that the shame is gone and that the glory is upon you. You're clothed in the beautiful, radiant righteousness of Jesus Christ. In your resurrection body, there'll be not only um, a lack uh, of the dishonor we have in our sin, there will be a glory. The people, the angels, the creation itself will look at you and be like, you are the sons and daughters of God. They'll look at you, be astonished, and want to praise Jesus for you. You're raised in glory. You'll be full of dignity and worth and honour and esteem. You can walk with your head held high in that day. There'll be no insecurities. There'll be no, I wonder what they think of me. You'll be raised in glory. Why? Why will the dishonour be gone and the glory be there? It's because the Son of God became the most shameful creature to ever walk on the earth. He carried the sins of all humanity. He became the worst of men. He became the tyrant, the murderer, the liar, the thief, the immoral, the hypocrite. He was all of it. And he took all the shame associated with that. He was publicly despised. You know, the men of the earth, they poured scorn on him. The Father in heaven, he poured wrath on him. He took all the shame. We're sown in dishonour. And yet because of him, because he took that shame and bore it, we're raised in glory. Hallelujah. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. How many of you know that you're weak? So here's an example. Physical strength. A day's work takes it out of you, right? Okay, some of you need to get a job, okay? (laughs) A day's work takes it out of you. You know, right now, I've been running quite hard for a few days. I'm feeling physically weak. 
We're weak in terms of health. We were talking about this earlier. What about in situations? Okay, just weak. Stuff happens. We can't handle it. We don't know what to do. Things get on top of us. Especially when a few things are all happening at once on different fronts. In terms of relationships, we're weak. When we're going through a hard time, we can't handle the stuff that other people bring. What about in terms of impact? You want to make a change on the world and you just feel like there's nothing you can do. Spiritually, and you know, in terms of like stepping out boldly, courageously, in terms of growing in Christ. Sometimes we can just feel so under the caution, weak. Life presses in on us. We're sown in weakness. But we are raised in power. The resurrection body will be a body of power. The life's to come uh, is when we're working the ground will be refreshment, not toil. We'll be priests and kings in the creation. We'll reign with Christ. We'll be physically healthy, physically strong. Emotionally healthy, emotionally strong. Spiritually healthy, spiritually strong. Relationally healthy, relationally strong. We're sown in weakness, but we're raised in power. Why? Because the Son of God took our weakness. He came to this world. He hungered. He thirsted. He was tired. He had spiritual and emotional turmoil. He took on the weakness that we could be raised with him in power. Hallelujah. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. It's, it's more than physical. So we're raised physically, but also spiritually. It's the same idea as in chapter 3, when he was talking about spiritual people. People who are living in step with the Spirit. People who are living um, controlled obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's what we'll be thoroughly in that day. The Spirit will be the one who guides our every move. We're raised a spiritual body. The best way to see what the resurrection body is like, is look at Jesus' resurrection body. He was physical. But he was more than physical. Like there was a time all the disciples were in a locked room and he just like wandered in. He must have walked through the wall or something. I'm like, oh, what's going on there? But he was physical. Like he ate fish with them. They touched his hands. They touched his side. And he was physical but more. Like they, they tried to recognize him. Sometimes they didn't. But then they did. He was similar to how he was, but different. That's what it's like. It's just like if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. This is from verse 44. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He said, look, in your present life, you're in the image of Adam. You've been made in his image. You know, you descended from him. You want to look at your resurrection body, it's the image of the man of heaven. It's the image of Jesus Christ. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we'll bear the image of the man of heaven. He says, look, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. If you're here today and all you've got is your own flesh and blood, your own strength, your own strivings, the Bible says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But if you've got the Holy Spirit alive and working in you, yeah, you will. And the Holy Spirit is a promise. As you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as your saviour, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He will make you alive. He will wake you up to spiritual realities and you will be able to live for Jesus now and into eternity and you will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to tackle one more question before uh, we call it a day today. Um, you might be like, well, this resurrection body sounds brilliant, but I've got a problem, right? What if Jesus returns now and I'm not dead? 
How do I get a resurrection body then? Well, you will get one, don't worry, uh, if you're in Christ. Uh, Read from verse 50. I tell you, brothers, uh, sorry, from verse 51. Uh, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So those who've gone before us in the Lord be raised, the spirits reunited with the body. Those still alive on that day in the Lord, changed into this glorious resurrection body. And together, as the people of God, will dwell for eternity in his presence. Does that sound a little bit crazy? Does this sound a little bit like a fairy tale? If it does, just look at history, okay? Because it started. Jesus has risen from the dead, so we know we're not talking mental stuff, but we actually have reason to believe it. You see, you can't play the atheist game. You can't be like, oh, I don't believe in resurrections because it's never happened. Because it has happened. History testifies. It's clear. Jesus rose from the dead. And just so you know, okay, if you're wondering who a good person to ask about what the deal after death is, maybe the guy who died and come back is quite a good one to listen to, okay? Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. And those who died in him will be raised. And those who live in him will be changed. And it says this, uh, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It says on that day, on that day that songs of gloating and songs of victory can be sung, on that day. I don't know how many of you guys um, listen to sermons online that you can download. It's quite a helpful uh, discipline, worth getting into. Uh, One of the guys that I tend to listen to preach quite a lot is a guy called Matt Chandler. Uh, He's a really good guy. And he often talks about how he hears these words being said at funerals. Um, So, uh, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And he says people read them and they don't always explain them. And he's there thinking, okay, there's a person I love in the casket and you're like death where is your sting and I'm like it's there (laughs) it's there can't you see but when you understand that it's not in this day that the sting of death uh, is gone but in that day you see death is taking some shots at the moment it's getting people but on that day it will all be undone it will all be unworked then the sting will be gone then the victory is won Death is defeated. We're not trivialising death. Death is huge. Death is a serious, serious issue. That's why we're longing for that day of resurrection. You know, in the words of C.S. Lewis in Narnia, okay, death starts to work backwards. How glorious an image is that? Those who have died, it becomes undone. The impact death's had in the world? No, 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 no. The impact life will spread out. Through, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? There will be the words in that day. Because it says, look, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, right now, the sting of death is sin. When you sin, then death can have a hold on you. It can grip you. It can get you. If you've not turned to Christ, it can keep you. You you will dwell for eternity, but it will be in what's called the second death. There will be a horrible state. And it says, um, the power of sin is the law. If you lay down a list of like, you can't do this, you must do that, instantly we kind of feel like we'd be deprived. So, oh, but what if I wanted to do that? I could do that if I want. I'm going to do that. And so we sin. And so 
we're under the realm of death. We're all lawbreakers, we're all sinners, so we're all under the power of death. But, don't you love that word? But thanks be to God, who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned. So death could have no hold on him. It has no right to him. So he took our sin, and because he took our sin down, death has no right to us either. He overcame and defeated sin. So he brought about eternal, glorious life in that new creation, resurrection day. That's what we're talking about. New life, new creation, new bodies. And you know who gets the glory for it? Jesus does. I've been talking a lot about the new body. I now want to convince you that it's not the big deal. It's a big deal, but it's not the big deal, okay? The new body and the new creation, they matter, okay? They're the fulfillment of the purposes for humanity. But they don't matter half as much about being with him. They don't matter half as much as being with Jesus. That's what it's absolutely all about. You know, I told you earlier that um, the idea of sitting on a cloud, that's just so alien to the biblical image of resurrection, and it is. But even if it were true, I could handle sitting on a cloud if Jesus was sitting beside me for all eternity. He is incredible. Oh, you know that image of like playing the harp? I'd happily learn the harp for Jesus. That's not how it's going to be. But seriously, he's incredible. I, I would be perfectly content eating Philadelphia with him, singing to him, being one of those like chubby babies in a nappy if he was there. Whether it's countryside or city, if he's there with me, that's cool. You know, people are like, oh, there'll be nothing to do. I'm happy to sit and do nothing with Jesus. You know, the really, really gripping thing is Jesus will be there. The new creation will be glorious. It will be physical. We'll have perfected bodies. It will be a perfect creation. But what makes it so, so perfect is Jesus will be dwelling here with us. He's the one I'm longing for. He's the one my hope is in. He's incredible. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start now, yeah? We're going to start this whole new creation, obsessing in Jesus, being in his presence. We're going to start, well, we're going to start ages ago. But if you've not started before, start right now, you know. We're going to sing. We're going to adore him. We're going to worship him. We're going to worship him in song. We're going to worship him uh, with the bread and the wine. Uh, just a practical note, um, the clear one's the juice, the uh, brown one's the wine. Um, it's up to you, your conscience, which one uh, you choose to take. But it's remembering uh, his body and blood that um, redeemed us, that brought us resurrection that brought us into this new creation. If you're not a believer, um, don't take the bread and the wine. If you're not a believer, you need to become a believer. Jesus is amazing. He's incredible. You need to get yourself connected to him. I'm going to worship him because it's all about him. He's fantastic.